You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. This month is Women's History Month, and to celebrate, we are releasing a collection of episodes about women who inspire us. And we have invited a selected group of talented women to chat with us about their experience in the music and creative industry. And today we're going to be talking to the brilliant Millie Charles. Now, Millie is a multi-talented radio producer, journalist, broadcaster, at Radio 1 and DJ and she has her own podcast that explores healing and creativity called Back to Life and we're excited to have you on today. Millie how are we? Yeah I'm good thank you. Yeah well thanks. Great. Very honoured to be here. Oh I'm glad and also I'm sorry if it's a bit warm in this room. (laughs) Oh it's all good it's all good I'm a very cold-blooded kind of character so I like it. (laughs) I like it. This is a perfect environment for you. (laughs) So let's be honest um, you have your fingers in, in, in many pies. It's true. Across this industry. (laughs) When you were younger, was this something that you were always like aspired to be a part of the music industry? Yeah. So I absolutely loved music. I was obsessed with music from a really young age. I remember kind of being like, you know, at primary school or early secondary school and sort of trawling all the music press and being into very obscure bands and then like crazy, you know, mixtapes and it just was something that I really connected with. I don't think I knew what I wanted to be. I mean, I wanted to obviously be like a famous pop star. That would have been ideal or a mountaineer. But I don't think I ha- I was ever set on anything. I've always been someone who's like into everything, changes their mind all the time. So in terms of like having a fixed idea of what I wanted to do when I grew up, it used to change every month. And it still does, to be honest. That's yeah. why I have so many different projects <laughs> on the go, as you can see. You said, um, uh, you said obscure bands. Can you give me uh, a few examples? Oh, my God. I can't even remember. But this is like the early 90s. So it was kind of the era of like grunge and... There was one band called New Fast Automatic Daffodils. Um, like, yeah. And I used to, but I mean, I used to like go record shopping and, you know, when I was like 11, 12. So I was deep into it. It was very much as soon as I was kind of in that phase of like adolescence, it would start to become part of my identity. And then I discovered dance music about a year or two later. And that was it for me. Like, I just couldn't wait to get to the next rave um you know I couldn't wait to be like old enough to go to that but before I went to any of those sort of places I was just deep into the music and really kind of yeah quite obsessive I think I'm quite an obsessive character um and so that was quite a healthy I guess outlet for that side of my personality yeah and what was your experience and journey into this industry uh being on like the I, I know it's both radio and music so if you want to kind of break them apart, then feel free. But like, what was your journey to get to that point? Oh, gosh, that's a long and winding story. <laughs> it's really hard for me to summarize this stuff. Um, so, yeah, when I was still at school, I uh, started dating someone who was a DJ and promoter. So I got deep into kind of that world, the world of clubbing, putting on parties. And I think I started to see like that was something that really kind of set me alight. And I couldn't really see myself like doing anything else at that point. So that was a really early experience. And I kind of, as a result of 
you know, being out at clubs every night of the week and putting on like big drum and bass raves. I didn't do so well in my A-levels because um, oh, no. I was sort of neglecting my studies. I was thinking, well, I don't need that. I don't need that stuff. You know, I just want to, um, this is what I want to do. And, and, you know, I wasn't far off. That is, you know, kind of the world that I've kind of inhabited since. But, but yeah, so I was always involved in music and always around music. But as I think we're going to get on to later, like my personal kind of story, uh, my life was quite chaotic. I was not very well. You know, I had lots of kind of challenges throughout my teens and 20s with my mental health and and addiction. And um, so my kind of plan didn't really unfold as planned. And then kind of later, I so I so I left school, I, I didn't really have kind of many qualifications. I did like four GCSEs. And I had a couple of A levels, but not very good ones, like not very good grades. And I just kind of went into the world of work. And I just did, you know, what you do like bar jobs and restaurant jobs and, and just surviving and and lots of time on benefits because of my kind of you know, my struggles. Mm. But when I was about 28, I um, I ended up in rehab. And this is after many other trips to rehab. But this time I ended up in a rehab in Stroud, uh, an all-female centre. And yeah, and obviously there was the kind of the treatment um, that you went through the group therapy and stuff. But as you progress through that, there was kind of more holistic stuff. So you'd have like mm. a gardening group and a creative writing group and a music group. And uh, one of the courses they were doing was a radio course at the wow. local radio station, which sadly doesn't exist anymore, called Stroud FM. And so it was just, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people will have done that course and not many people will have continued it. But I did it and I loved it. And from that course, which was just a very basic sort of radio skills course, I started volunteering at that station. After I completed rehab, I started doing a radio show there and learned how to edit. And I was doing like the drive time show and I was doing like a Friday evening music show. And it was just it just encompassed everything. Like I said, I was into so many different things. Like I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a DJ. I wanted to be um, a journalist. You know, I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to be involved with music, essentially, with the kind of two kind of big themes, I guess. And yeah. radio just had all of that. So I could play music. I could do reports and local news stories. And yeah, I loved it. And I loved it. And especially coming from a place where I'd been quite very marginalized. I hadn't been part of society. I hadn't really been learning about the world I lived in. I'd just been kind of battling my own demons and trying Mm. to survive. And with like a microphone in my hand, I had this ticket to go and meet people and get involved with exciting things that were going on in my community. So that sense of community and that sense of learning that I got from putting those shows together was the thing I think that I just loved. And so from there, I applied to go to uni. I started uni when I was 29 and I did a radio production course. It was the only course I applied for three courses. It was the only one that would have me on because I didn't, as I said, I didn't really have any qualifications at that to speak of. And I just loved it. Absolutely threw myself in. I was, you know, I was clean and sober. My mental health was good for the first time in my life. And I had that ability to kind of focus and and really make the most of it. And um, from there, when I graduated, I got accepted onto a scheme at the BBC. So my first job out of uni was then working at Radio 4 in Bristol in the arts, doing like arts programs and stuff. Since then, I've been kind of freelancing and I've worked on multiple different shows and, and, and different kind of types of audio content, you know, from music radio to documentary radio and to podcasts, all sorts. 
So, wow. Yeah. I love that. Now, um, we will get back into the, the certain experiences you had. Um, but my next question, because um, I want to know more about being a shadow artist and mm-hmm. kind of what that entails. Can you, first of all, explain what that is and your kind of experience getting into that? So being a shadow artist, it's a concept that Julia Cameron talks about in The Artist's Way. And I have sort of been very drawn to that book and it's kind of come up a lot I've actually never completed that it's a it's actually a 12-week program where you do different exercises every week and you kind of do writing stuff every day and yeah I've never actually completed the 12-week program but I have read bits of the book and mm-hmm. and certain bits resonated with me and recently I did a podcast with a DJ called Ruby Savage who runs groups taking people through the artist's way and yeah we spoke about this concept of being a shadow artist which is this idea of sort of feeling drawn to people and experiences that you're unable to kind of recognize or express in yourself. So for me, before I ever, so I'm, I DJ, I'm a DJ now. And that was something I kind of wanted to do from a really young age and was really, really drawn to. And I was constantly drawn to DJs and musical, musical people, musicians all my life. I was friends with artists, musicians, you know, but I never really had that thing myself. Like I'd never really tapped into it. Like I was so magnetized to it, but I didn't think I had anything in me to offer like in that yeah. way. Do you know what I mean? And often that's the way. And so, and so even like, you know, within kind of radio producing, like it's often like you're supporting someone else's kind of vision, you know, you're doing everything to kind of make their vision a reality rather than kind of realizing your own vision. Mm. And a lot of jobs in the creative industries are that, you know, yeah. and often we feel safer kind of in the background, like it's much less vulnerable, isn't it? To kind of support someone else's vision than to actually kind of look within and find your own kind of, your own creativity basically and and kind of go through the messiness of like allowing that to come out and to try and to fail and to do stuff and to risk looking silly or whatever whatever your fear is yeah but yeah me and ruby had this conversation on my podcast i've got a podcast called back to life and um it was yeah it really really resonated with me she was talking also about this idea like she's constantly drawn to djs and only wanted to date djs and then it was like actually maybe i just want to be a dj <laughs> and it was like <laughs> oh yeah i could actually do that and yeah. there's an amazing line that i read from the artist way that really has just always resonated with me and i think is so it just kind of cuts to the heart of it really it's like the difference between an artist and a non-artist is often just audacity so it's not actually about you know we sort of often think about like um the way we sort of talk about artists or the talent or you know is often like they're some kind of other type of person and it's something kind of innate but actually often the difference is someone has just actually taken that action someone has picked up that instrument and taken the time to learn it you know yeah. or someone has sat down to attempt to write a song or someone has picked up a paintbrush you know and and I I actually went on um Sorry, I'm going off on one. No, I'm loving this. Keep going. (laughs) I actually went on a, so something that was really transformative for me recently uh, within the last few years, it was about four or five years ago, I think now, um, I was actually reporting for, um, I do reports for Women's Hour on Radio 4 sometimes, and uh, they sent me off to this thing called Girls Rock London. And it was this three-day kind of workshop, essentially, where they just had women 
some women who'd never, ever picked up an instrument or attempted to play an instrument in their life and some women who'd been in bands their whole life or, you know, and all these women came together and in the space of three days, they formed bands, they got a name, they wrote a song, you know, and then they got on stage and did a performance, you know, and it was really incredible. Like the facilitators were so inspiring. They were like, come on, you like take up space. And, and as I was there, I was talking, interviewing all these women about their experience and I was just hearing my story. Like I was just, they were all like, I've loved music my entire life, but I just thought I'm not a musician. And then I realized it's just because I've never actually tried. Um, and that really had a really profound impact on me. And literally, you know, the next day I bought myself like a DJ controller and I've been DJing ever since because I had DJed up at times in my life in the past, but I'd always, I'd given up for whatever reason. And I thought, oh, I'm just being stupid. Why am I doing this? Like, yeah. you know, um, I just talk myself out of it, that inner critic. And that's something else that Julia Cameron talks about in The Artist's Way, this inner critic that's constantly trying to stop you. And it's it's trying to keep you safe, but often it's the thing that blocks you from actually doing what you want to do, you know, yeah. and, and expressing your your creativity in whatever way you feel you want to, really. So yeah, that, that's amazing. I, I honestly, if anyone takes anything away from this episode, it's go out there. If you've always wanted to be a part of this industry, that first step is finding your instrument or finding your voice mm. or whatever it may be, and and making a start on it and. Uh, and also, of course, anyone watching right now or listening right now, go check out that episode of your podcast um, to learn more about being a, a shadow artist. Yeah. Um, well, it's all about, I mean, it's all about trying, isn't it? And it's quite vulnerable, I think. And often yeah. we sort of think, oh, you've got to be like this fully formed thing. But actually, like the joy of creativity is the process. It is not about what other people think, you know, like that's obviously a part of it at some stage in the journey. But actually the joy of just being in that flow state, making something, trying, you know, learning, honing your craft, you know, that is really the joy of it. And I think once I started to approach it with that attitude rather than I need to do it to prove something or show any, you know, it, it changed the game for me and it just wasn't just a much more joyful and nourishing experience. Um, But yeah, I'm constantly fighting that inner critic that's telling me, what are you doing? You're too old. You're shit. You're rubbish. You know, like, you know, it's just constantly there. And I think a lot of creative people will identify with that. That's, and the artist's way, get it. Because it's, it's really helps uh, with that stuff. I think just recognizing it when it comes up. Yeah. Brilliant. I, for, well, the, the next thing I really want to do is thank you as well, because you talk openly about addiction. Now addiction has been a, a big part of your life. Um, but music has also helped you with recovery what part of music and you mentioned raves what part of of the the industry or the the creative side of things would you say was a big part of the healing process for you so yeah it's interesting i mean in terms of like you know my early recovery i would say you know this i can't say like uh you know music saved my life and i got clean because of music that's not true you know i needed i needed like quite specific specialist help I needed you know rehab I needed to be part of a recovery community I went through a 12-step program so I'm not saying like you know go to a rave and you can get clean from drug addiction yeah, yeah like, we're, not, we're not saying that um <laughs> definitely not uh, but, but yeah go on. <laughs> but I think there is often like 
you know, quite a kind of, there's a certain way of thinking about what healing is, you know, and often it's like, yes, it's, it's quite a Western idea of like what healing is. It's like sitting in a room and talking to someone about your childhood traumas, that's healing. Actually, like, and I heard this recently from um, someone called Dr. Tamer, who was on yeah, a podcast that I was working on. Um, so I, I just wanted to say that because I don't want to claim it's my own, but you know, that process of reclaiming joy in your life, you know, whether it's dancing, whether it's music, whether it, you know, that is such a healing thing like that, mm. you know, especially when you've lived through years of darkness, actually going, yeah, no, actually I feel worthy enough to put time into enjoyment and pleasure and joy and fun, you know, like yeah. that is like, what's it all for if you can't have that stuff? Do you know what I mean? Like, we often think about, like, the recovery process, very, very serious. And it really is because it's life and death for a lot of people. You know, um, addiction kills many, many people. So I don't want to take that lightly in any way. Um, but as you go on in your recovery journey, I think a lot of people start to reclaim parts of themselves that they've lost along the way. And for me, you know, creativity, and I think for all of us, yeah, I think we all have creativity is is part of all of us you know I, I don't separate between like there are artists or creative people and not but um for people who've recovered from addiction I think often they have abandoned dreams lost dreams you know I did like you know addiction kind of decimated my youth essentially you know and um there was a lot of grief around that um there was a lot of grief and and actually when I started to reclaim that re reclaim like the things that I enjoyed the things that I was passionate about and integrate them into my life that grief came up because I was like oh my god all those years I've missed of not doing stuff I love and not you know enjoying life essentially mm. um but music is incredible used for its you know in its highest form you know in terms of like community in terms of like how it can make you feel I mean it's absolutely mood altering I'd always used music to kind of medicate myself like I remember even being in detoxes and just like putting on certain like tapes or like cds and you know just to give me that energy to like get through the day or you know it's like yeah. it can be an incredibly powerful tool and a healthy tool you know it's it's like a healthy form of mood alteration you know it can help you to kind of you know how when we're feeling depressed or sad we put on sad music like it just helps us to we need to go through that stuff sometimes and music can kind of take us to those places that we need to be, you know, it's a really powerful tool and yeah, kind of reclaiming that in my life has been incredibly healing. Do you think that addiction and recovery is experienced differently for women? Now, of course, this is what we're kind of, we're not highlighting it in, in this episode, but we kind of hear a lot of stories, but when we look at addiction in the music industry, there's a there's a few people that kind of pop into my head and and I'd say three or four of them are, are men but one one big one that kind of stands out for me is Amy Winehouse and the way that she was treated in the tabloids now do you think that we there's more pressure on women when it comes to addiction and recovery and what would your kind of stance be on that yes absolutely i do think there is i think like gender responsive in addiction treatment is really important so in terms of what you're saying there about kind of how Amy Winehouse was treated as opposed to like maybe her male counterparts um I think that just speaks to um one of the kind of main things and I actually made a series about this for Women's Hour about women's sort of unique experiences of addiction 
And um, so I learned a lot about that, obviously started to like put my own experience into this kind of wider context. And one of the first things I learned that really kind of blew me away, and I see it now kind of in all areas, is that women are held to a much higher moral standard than men. So we have these expectations because women are mothers and women are, you know, have this expectation of being kind of pure or good or nice or friendly, you know, and addiction really doesn't kind of fit in with that kind of image that we have. Like it's not, you know, it kind of, so when we see women who are struggling with addiction, substance misuse, we see it as even more deviant. Like there's like addiction is stigmatized full stop, whether you're whatever gender you are, but particularly for, for women or non-male genders, it's, it's seen as even more kind of, uh, yeah, deviant is the word. So like it's, and that's still the case. They've done, you know, they've done studies recently with university students. So very kind of, you know, educated people, but, and young people, you know, who's, who would still say that they would judge a woman more harshly for the same behavior um, as a man. And I'd seen that in my own experience, you know, I'd seen like male friends um, in recovery and they're kind of, pretty open about their past it was, gave them a bit of an edge yeah I was a bit of a bad boy back in the day and it was like do you know what I mean it was yeah. like whereas I saw lots of women kind of really hiding and really kind of eaten up with that shame of like that past because it sort of and I and I had that you know I hid my I hid my history for a good few years you know it wasn't something I kind of burst out of the rehab like hello I'm in recovery you yeah. know um I had to get to a place of of being quite confident in other areas of my life because it was it felt like a real risk to be open you know of how people would judge me how people would see me and and it is you know and it is and uh, you know particularly with kind of motherhood as well you know recent I I have I've had a child in recovery but yeah I mean that is another kind of whole whole thing you know that idea um yeah again you know the the kind of the ideas that we have about, you know, what a good mum is. And I just think, again, you know, women are held to that higher standard. There's lots of other kind of aspects as well. I think, you know, there's a big relationship. I mean, we know that like in within the general population, like one in three women have experienced sexual assault um, or rape. And I think within, you know, within women who suffer from addiction, I think that figure would be more like closer to a hundred percent you know you can't kind of separate the fact that women you know the high incidence of like severe trauma domestic violence you know all these kind of quite horrific experiences and quite significant trauma um that women experience and a lot of women who um often we think about addiction and we think about someone who's got a problem with drugs, but addiction is so much more than that. There's like, that's like maybe the headline, you know, but there's, there's this whole complex and this goes for all genders, but it's very, you know, there is a significant kind of increase in women suffering with mental health problems, self-harm, eating disorders, you know, very complex issues alongside their addiction. Um, And traditionally addiction services have been designed for men as as you know as as has a lot of medicine as has a lot of services in general um yeah. and very much so with addiction services so women's experiences weren't even taken into consideration until 
within quite recent years. Um, wow. So trauma wasn't even really a recognized thing. You know, obviously we hear about trauma all the time now, I guess, if you're in that kind of uh, wellness and self-help kind of world. But this is quite a new idea and like actually taking into consideration the impact that that has on people, you know, so women would often be seen, you know, maybe find it hard to engage with services because because of past traumas, you know, because of their their trauma responses. Um, and that hasn't really been taken into consideration until very recent years. So yeah, there's, there's lots of differences. There's lots of things that I think need to be recognized to um, help women to recover from addiction. Yeah. I've definitely got more things to to kind of ask, but mm. I know due to these cameras that like, I'm pushed for time. So I just got I got two more things that I want to give to you. One's a question and another mm. one is you plug in uh the, the podcast that you do as well. And mm. we'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. But my 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 last question for you is and this is gonna be an interesting one. I ask this to everyone, mm -hmm. advice for your younger self. Now, especially when you yourself have you wouldn't be the person you are today without going through what you did and that's that's a brave thing to go through so i i'm very curious of what advice you'd give to to that young millie who's about to take her a levels um and about to step into this this music world um what what would you say to to that millie I would say, don't believe everything you think. It's kind of my go-to. I generally like, don't like to give advice. I, I don't know. I feel kind of uncomfortable with that concept in a way, but that for me has been like such a kind of mind blowing, transformative bit of information that my thoughts aren't facts and that I don't have to buy into them and that I don't have to pay attention or obey them and that they aren't me and that they don't necessarily define me. You know, um, we get so many thoughts every day and I was so wrapped up in my own thoughts, you know, and that was basically the source of my suffering for many years, yeah. you know, just believing every thought, you know, and, and thinking, thinking it was true you constantly you know I was very I, thinking back to like who I was I hated myself like with such a passion and if I could have known that actually those thoughts weren't me and that that wasn't necessarily truth I might have had a little bit of distance from them and maybe kind of investigated like that maybe yeah there could be an alternative reality for me essentially yeah um and yeah, I guess that is quite a, comes from quite a kind of spiritual, um, like a spiritual kind of teaching. Um, and it's something that I kind of try and nurture with meditation. So trying to kind of keep, you know, notice those thoughts rather than like be convinced by them. Um, for me, it's been totally like changed the game really. No, that's some great advice. For someone who doesn't like giving advice, that's great advice. For someone who doesn't like giving advice, I give a lot of advice <laughs> as well. <laughs> right. So the, the final thing I'd love for you to do, tell us where we can find uh, your podcast. Tell us, and for everyone who's been inspired by you, because I know they will be, tell us where we can find you as well. Um, so yeah, I do a podcast. It's been on a little hiatus recently whilst I've been, um, busy with work and motherhood. Um, but getting back to it in the summer, uh, you can find it on all good platforms. It's back to life, back to life. Uh, and I talk about, yeah, healing and creativity with a big focus on music. Um, cause obviously that's kind of what I'm drawn to. Um, but we've also had comedians, um, and, yeah, and other creative people. Nice. Um, 
but yeah, it's been really lovely to make. Um, and in general, I guess you could keep updated with like my various projects, my DJing, radio shows, etc. Uh, through my Instagram. That's generally where I put everything these days. And I'm at Millie underscore on underscore air underscore. Amazing. <laughs> it's been great having you on. Um, I've loved every single second of this episode. Thank, thank you so much for coming down. And uh, thank you so much for speaking so freely and and, and kind of, I, I want to say educationally as well. <laughs> Don't think it's not like school way, but every yeah. day is a school day. Uh, seems to be what Rachel likes to tell me. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Rachel. Um, but yeah, you've been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait for us to have more of these conversations, hopefully in the future. Amazing. Thank you. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.